welcome to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason, where they share the latest manufacturing and tech news and explore innovative solutions to help you improve your business. In a galaxy far, far away, or perhaps closer than you think, robots like R2-D2 are shaping the future of manufacturing. You're listening to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason. Our guest today is Sam Thomason, an expert in factory automation and CNC programming with a rich background working in both Japan and the United States. We discuss the role of autonomous mobile robots in the Australian manufacturing sector and uncover the secrets behind how you can adopt these game-changing technologies. I trust you'll enjoy the interview. Sam, thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Tech Australia. Thanks, Paul, and thanks, Shane, too, for being here today. Really looking forward to talking about robots. I'll kick things off here. So Konica Minolta seems like a pretty innovative company. I see it's transitioned from printers to 3D printing and now autonomous mobile robots. So I guess to get started, what are some of the key trends you're seeing that manufacturers in Australia need to be aware of? I think flexibility more than anything else. And if I look at the way technology is moving, there are lots of things we can look at. You can look at the bright and shiny different robots that are more and more prominent now. But mechanically, not a whole lot has changed. It's really the software and the brains. And I guess you could say that the sensor arrays that really make the differences. And the changes that I think that brings to manufacturers in particular is flexibility. And that's something that has really changed a lot. I think consumers in general are demanding more variety. If we go back years to maybe not the beginning of the assembly line, but the most famous one, which was Henry Ford's assembly line, they started out with one color. You could have any Model T you liked so long as it was in black. And people were happy with the trade-off of a mass-produced product that was of decent quality. They were happy to live with no or low customization. And that lended itself to very bespoke manufacturing systems that were geared towards producing one thing in high volume forever. And I think we've gotten pretty good at doing that. Now, here in Australia, we don't do much of that anymore. We don't mass produce many things. We tend to like to dig rocks out of the ground and export them. And we don't make as much as we used to, unfortunately, particularly on the mass production side of things. But where things have changed is that we're becoming more and more capable of using automation technologies to mass produce in smaller batches to provide consumers with more variety. And I think that's actually where the Australian manufacturing industry has actually got a bit of a chance because so much of our mass production has gone offshore. We've All that is really left is the more custom niche sort of stuff. And there are tools now at those manufacturers' disposal that allow them to actually continue to develop and produce niche products, highly customizable products, but incorporate certain automation technologies that used to be reserved only for mass production. I think automation is really what fascinates me most. And what I get to do now with Mia, with the Mia line of autonomous mobile robots, is work with a form of automation that's really flexible. And I think that flexibility is really what our market needs. So Sam, I think you're spot on with the mass customization, mass personalization theme. And we see manufacturers here that often say, I'm only doing small runs, like you mentioned before, we're small runs everywhere in, in Australian manufacturing. And people see that as a bit of a disadvantage and then we can't compete. 
But I guess those that are seeing it as an opportunity to gear up and leverage that and customize and do shorter runs that they can personalize and customize things as they need to is really an opportunity where we should be using that to our advantage in this country. I think that is a big shift in, I guess it's the next industrial revolution in many ways. What the industrial revolution really was the ability to specialize in making one thing really well in high volumes. What it wasn't good at was, like you mentioned, the customization. You were trading off the artisan sort of side of things. And that's always been the case. It's either you have something that's customized and handmade and unique and bespoke, or you have something that's mass produced and not quite as interesting. But by automation becoming easier, the threshold at which it's worthwhile automating is much lower than it used to be. So once upon a time, let's say you wanted to make a particular type of bearing cups or something like that. If you wanted to automate that process, you'd probably want an order of at least, say, over two or 3,000 to make it worthwhile. And you would need those orders to come in fairly regularly. You would need that volume to offset the cost of the investment you have to make. Those numbers have reduced now that not only the machinery is becoming cheaper, but the sort of person that can set it up, that barrier, that threshold is much lower now. So you can justify say a run of 200 or 300 and setting up a robot program for that. Whereas once upon a time, you wouldn't bother unless it was over a few thousand. And uh, I think one of the misconceptions is that you need a large company in order to do that. And I think it's a well-founded conception because for a long time, that was the case. You needed the capital and the know-how but the technology is there now for smaller businesses to actually take advantage of this. I look at back when I was working in the States selling CNC machine lines, my biggest customer was an aerospace company and they made small bespoke sort of bushings, mainly for the Air Force, but also for commercial. And they had a lot of volumes. They would be doing tens and thousands per day. However, they would quite often only do batches of 50 or 60 of any particular type. And you would have different diameters of these bushings, different lengths. And they came to me saying, okay, we have 900 different parts that we want to run through this machine. We want to be able to change over in 15 minutes and run any of those parts between a run of anywhere from 50 to 5,000 and overnight. And I think until very recently, that wouldn't have really been feasible And it was really difficult, but we got it done. And I think one of the reasons for that is that the technologies are more approachable now. We can make interfaces where an average operator, because we needed to have the operator interact. We needed the operator to actually say, okay, the dimension for this bushing, it's this wide, it's this long, it has a flange or it doesn't have a flange. And we needed a simple interface so they could put those things in and then they could just put the materials in and it would figure out the rest for them. And that's what we set up. And at the end of the day, they ended up with a line that would they could literally change over in about 10 or 15 minutes. There were some mechanical changes they had to make here and there. Some of the seatings for the gauging fixtures and all that had to be changed. But it was doable. They were a big company, but there's no reason that a smaller company couldn't potentially do the same thing if they had the vision, I think, and were willing to take the leap. And mind you, that was about five years ago. Technology has come a long way since then. It's even easier, even more user-friendly. And if I look at what we're doing now at Conica with AMRs, 
which is even simpler than that. We're not talking about aerospace bushings. We're talking about moving pallets generally, which is usually something that you would have someone with a pallet jack or a forklift do. Um, people are usually better off doing something a bit more value-added than pushing a pallet jack or, or driving a forklift around if you can help it. You'd rather have them checking for quality, maybe packaging something, doing a complex assembly task, so many other things that humans are better for than pushing a pallet jack. And now that we can automate our AMRs fairly simply, so simple in fact that I taught my 10-year-old how to do it in our office, it took her about 20 minutes and she had the whole place mapped out and running missions around. I think it's safe to say that the technology has simplified to the extent where you still need a certain amount of know-how. It's a lot more approachable and I think that gives smaller more niche manufacturers or options to punch above their weight. Sam, that's a really interesting point you make around the evolution of the technology between sort of AGVs and then the more modern AMRs. If I think back to my earliest interaction with AGVs, we're talking the, the newspaper printing business where you traditionally had real hands pushing around huge reels of newspaper print paper in to get them into the presses from the paper store. And the first iteration of those huge robots coming from Europe that were autonomously making their way around on what was largely effectively a metal track through the print facility to get the reels into the right places and often running into each other and yep. whatnot. And I imagine, based on something you said earlier, it seems to me like the evolution of the technology is not just that it's necessarily doing anything significantly more than that, but the ability for it to be adopted by a smaller business or a less technical organisation maybe the path that we're going on. So I suppose the question I'm looking to tease out of you is why do you think that AMRs are the game changer and where is the tech heading? So I think, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head how really the change has been the accessibility. And we've seen that happen before in history. You look at how computers became more mainstream. It wasn't, yes, if we look at Moore's law, transistors were getting smaller and we were able to put more in the same box but it was so much more than that that brought them into people's homes. It was, I think, really the, the GUI, the graphical user interface. If you look at the transition from, say, DOS to Windows 3.1, being able to click on things, there wasn't that much different under the hood, I would say, for a lot of those computers and processing power. Yes, you needed a bit more to run the graphics and all that, but it was the ability to see things visually and just click on what you wanted rather than have to type in commands and know the commands and that sort of thing. And with AGVs, I see a fair few similarities. Now, as you mentioned, with like magnetic tape in the floor that was needed quite often for AGVs, that's obviously another big advantage. But even outside of that, if you have to code every single movement, rotate the wheels this many times in this direction, rotate them this many degrees, go over here until you meet this marker and have to type that all in as a hard code. Not only does it greatly reduce who can interact with the robot, if anything goes wrong, it makes it way harder to troubleshoot. The thing stops. If you have no real visualization of what's going on, it makes it way harder. And I think that's really a large part of the difference there between AMRs and AGVs is that interactivity in the same way that the reason we all have a computer in our home is not so much because RAM got better or processors got better. It was that the interface got better. 
and regular people started to use them. And we're starting to see that with AMRs and with a lot of other robotics too. Yeah, I think in addition to the advantages of the usability and the user interface, and like you mentioned, you taught your daughter to set this up in 10 minutes, map out the whole zone on a smartphone or a tablet, and then get the AMR working out of the box kind of thing. I think also there's logistical things too, like, you know, if someone's dropped down some boxes right in the way in traditional AGVs, it would just have to stop. Whereas in modern AMRs, it can basically go around anything that's dropped in the way. I guess a lot safer for humans and that kind of thing as well, if a human tends to walk in the way. So I guess fair to say that for moving, you know, distances and moving products around, moving packaged goods or even raw materials from one spot to another, I mean, in a lot of facilities, there's often limitations around what you can and can't do in terms of moving things around and make it a little bit more optimized in terms of layout. So I guess when you've got those kind of challenges, something like an AMR to move things around and redeploying that human talent, like you mentioned before, to other areas is definitely where it's adding value there. Sam, you mentioned earlier, one of the advantages of AMRs is the ease in which they can be adopted into businesses. And having been on the buying end of many technology decisions in my lifetime, I've found that a slick salesperson can convince you of the world and the reality seems far from what was pitched. But I imagine you've probably got a view on that. I mean, you sort of alluded to earlier, perhaps one of your children being able to do this stuff. And we've all heard that, you know, oh, this, this app was trained by 10-year-olds, therefore it works. I'm curious, could you please talk me through the reality of setting up AMRs? How is your run-of-the-mill Australian small business manufacturer genuinely going to be able to adopt this technology? Select many things that are quote-unquote easy. 70% of it is fairly easy, and then that last 30% of optimization can be really hard. And a lot of that can relate to the environment. So I'll take my salesman hat off and I'll put my honesty hat on and say that, yes, the interface is really easy to use so much so that I, like I mentioned, my daughter came in, I handed her the phone, she connected via Wi-Fi to the robot's router, which is what we do. We put mapping mode on. She used the joystick on the phone to drive it around the area we were going to use it, which creates a map. And then she was able to just drag and drop positions where it would stop. Now, right there and then, you already have an application that could potentially be valuable to a small shop. Let's say you've got a process where you have raw materials that need to go to a machining cell. Once they're machined, they need to go to heat treat. After heat treat, they need to go back to the machining cell for finishing hard turn. And then they need to go to powder coat. And then they need to go out to assembly. Now, to set up a bus route where the robot would start in one position and just go from point to point, either through pressing a button on a tablet or a phone, or we could even put a button on the robot that just tells it to wait until the button's pressed until it goes to the next one, that would be relatively easy to do. Now, that's not to say that life happens. People put boxes in the wrong places, it gets stuck, and... When Bob pushes the trolley of parts and something is in the way, he just shifts it out of the way. Nobody ever really thinks about it because Bob never complains about it. The robot does. So for a few days, they've got to get used to that. Other things will happen. Let's say, for example, had one customer, robot was giving us an error that the rear sensor was blocked. We walk around the robot, there's nothing there. What the hell's wrong? I look really close and there's a little spider hiding behind the sensor. <laughs> Australia, yeah. So things like that, that people need to become aware of, and that takes time. And so whether you're a big manufacturer or a smaller one, 
like any technology, there are things that you need to adjust to because these things aren't bulletproof. One robot is pretty simple. Two also usually pretty simple. But the more you add, yeah, the more complexity. But at that stage, you're probably not a, sh a small shop anymore. So <laughs> the dynamics change there as well. Also, if you need to incorporate it into your WMS, you have warehouse management software or SAP or something like that, and you need SAP to generate REST commands that tell the robot to do something, things like that, obviously, I couldn't get my 10-year-old to do. You need a, an actual engineer for that. So there are definitely things that you're always going to need an integrator for and some things that you don't. And so we have customers on both sides. We have some that require a solution that requires integrators and a lot of work by professionals and others that we sell the robot to. We give them instruction and training, and then they set up the applications themselves. And I think that's the approach that we'd probably be looking at more for the smaller shops. And that's really where the advantage is like with them not having to go to an integrator and all the costs that comes with. I think that's the key is what size organization are you? What level of investment are you likely to need to make in terms of not just right now, but as the business grows? And what existing systems do you need that already exist or are likely to exist that you want to interface with? They're probably some of the things that I'd be thinking through depending on the size of the organization, right? So, you know, if you've got an ERP that's managing your inventory and stock controls and you've got to interface that with, okay, robot arrive when XYZ's been picked and pick it up and take it along and you've got systems talking to each other, that adds a level of complexity that a sole robot doing one job walking around with four exit points is probably easy enough to set up yourself, right? Yeah. And I think, like you said, that the scale of the business, if they've already got an ERP system and entry and exit points, you're probably dealing with a business of sufficient complexity that an integration project like that isn't that big a deal. If it's a smaller business, there's obviously a lower end as well where it still isn't worthwhile getting this sort of technology. Generally, we want to be looking at an application where you've got somebody that's pushing a trolley or a cart or moving a pallet. And it depends on what sort of ROI the customer is looking at. But most folks that I speak to want at least three years or better. And in order to get that, quite often you probably need to be looking at a task in which somebody's, at least the majority of somebody's day is occupied. And that doesn't need to be, you could have eight people and it's taking up half an hour of their time every day, for example. Now, there are other things we can do to make it a bit easier for smaller businesses like Konica, most of our businesses is printers and photocopiers and all that sort of stuff. A lot of people that have those in their office don't actually buy them outright, they lease them or they pay per page, or we have a number of different financing options. And the cool thing is we can do the same thing for robots. We can't really charge it by page because they don't print stuff, but we can at least charge per month, put it on a lease and cut the payments up into 60 payments, for example, across five years. And then the conversation, even for a smaller business, becomes, okay, what is it costing you to have somebody full-time pushing a cut? Is it, say... $70,000, $80,000 a year for that person, insurance, onboarding, the equipment they're using and all that. If let's say we put in a mere 250 to push that trolley, it's probably going to cost around about 100K with the attachments and everything all together. And then maybe a bit of training, throw another five or 10K for that to set up the application, get them on their way. If you're offsetting $80,000 with say 100 110, $120,000, then you're actually looking at a really good deal. 
because that's going to pay itself off in about a year and a half. And if we can put it on a lease, then they can immediately reap the benefits. Obviously, you're going to be paying some interest, but your operating expenses per month are going to be less with the robot than where they previously were having somebody pushing a trolley. And I think that's a good example of where this can really make sense for a smaller business. Once they're, they can't be a really small business, but a sort of small medium business that would rather have their workers on the line, maybe putting things together, checking for quality, packaging things, doing things that it's hard to get a robot to do and letting the cart pushing side of things, leaving that to the robot. And then there's the safety and health aspect. Like I just did a webinar on safety about a month ago, and I think it was like 26, 27% of work-related injuries in Australia are related to pushing and pulling related injuries. So Sam, I think we've talked about the relative opportunity that there is in adopting AMRs in, in an organization and some of the complexity or simplicity around implementing them depending on the size and complexity of the organization. But if I'm a listener right now thinking, okay, I think AMRs might be for me, what are the practical three next steps that I should be considering in order to adopt this technology? I think the first one is, does it make financial sense? So likely all up, an AMR project is probably going to cost you somewhere around start off about 90 to 100K, sometimes a bit cheaper, but usually something like that and think, okay, if I can offset somebody, is that amount going to be worthwhile? If the answer is yes, then proceed to stage two, which is, okay, what's the environment? Do I need this to run outdoors? Because we can't really do outdoors at this stage, maybe a little bit if it's undercover. Also, the floors, am I going to struggle moving a pallet jack around in the area this is being used? If the answer is yes, then AMR is probably not a good mix. Same if it's a refrigerated environment. We can't really go below five degrees. So I guess environment would be number two after you've figured out the financials. Number three is have a chat with an expert. I'm always happy to have a chat with anybody that's even just curious. We can have a chat about what you want to do, what you do at your facility and whether it's going to be a good fit or not. Sounds like a good place to wrap it up. So Sam, thanks for joining us today. I think it's been really informative and I hope our listeners got something out of that and learn a little bit more about AMRs and how they can be used and in what kind of applications. So thanks again for joining us and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. No, I really enjoyed being here and happy to talk to anybody who is interested in learning more. Just give me a buzz. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Thank you very much. for tuning in to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane and Paul, recorded on the traditional lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people. For more information, jump on the manufacturingtech.au website. Remember to hit the follow button to join us again next time as we continue to explore the intersection of manufacturing and technology.